Welcome to the Interlocutor Interviews podcast. I'm Tyler Nessler, the founder of Interlocutor Magazine. And today I have with me guitarist and composer Anthony Wilson, who I recently published an interview with in the online edition of Interlocutor. Uh, he just put out a new album called Collodion, uh, which was recorded with Pete Min for the innovative label Colorfield Records. So how you doing, Anthony? I'm doing really well, Tyler. How about yourself? Doing great. Glad to have you on. Um, well, so just to kick it off, uh, this album was kind of a departure for you, um, stylistically and also uh, with the recording technique. Now, Colorfield um, has kind of developed a reputation of working with, well, especially with the young emerging musicians, but also with more established musicians. Um, and it's kind of uh, a unique collaborative atmosphere um, in studio, uh, free form. Um, often musicians playing instruments that they're not used to. And so we, we, uh, we touched on this in the interview, but, uh, could you talk about a bit, like, what was some of the mo the more tantalizing aspects of, uh, creating music in this manner, uh, for someone with your, like yourself who already kind of has a, a pretty substantial body of work? Well, you know, it was a very organic and natural process because I've worked with Pete over the last number of years on various things, either as a session musician coming in to play sessions with other people that were working at his studio um, or uh, doing my own projects there. I've been working on a project called Knowledge Tree over the last several years, uh, which is music that's inspired by some travels of mine in Mississippi, hmm. as well as an album that I did called The Plan of Paris, which we recorded at Pete's studio. So we we had already become friends and had found a really natural way of working. It's just uh, a very good place in Los Angeles to go and record just right from the beginning. Pete has just a really home homey environment. It's just when you yeah. when you're there, you feel super comfortable. He is the most chill person to work with. So if he's just engineering a session for you, things just work fast and easy. There's not a lot of kind of working to get setups and and taking a lot of time. It's it's he's a good facilitator in his space of yeah. just getting out of the way and creating creating an atmosphere for for music to happen so yeah. i was really psyched because I, he had already been doing albums with other folks and i'd been following the albums and he said one day hey would you be into doing one of these records with me because i think we'd have a really fun time doing it and i and yeah. i was so glad because I immediately, I immediately was like, yes, I've, I've heard Larry Golding's album. I've heard uh, A. Brown's album. I was totally into them. And uh, yeah, let's do something. So um, it was tantalizing just because I already felt comfortable in the place and with Pete. And I knew it, it would, would have been maybe a lot different if it were a stranger that I would have to sure. maybe get to know or get to know the space but it was literally like 
something that I was very familiar with, driving over to the place, right. seeing Pete, talking for a while. That's just sort of something I'd been doing anyway on different sessions. And um, so I was psyched from that standpoint. I knew that we would be able to kind of gel creatively, even though I didn't know at all what we'd come up with or really at all how he worked. I mean, I didn't find that out for these, for this record until I got there. And, you know, I mean, he had sort of explained some things to me in advance, but the first day I got there and he said, well, we're, you know, we're going to, we're going to try something different today, but I don't know what it is. Maybe, you know, uh, we start with this particular keyboard and create some kind of rhythmic um some kind of rhythmic basis for a song and i didn't first of all i didn't so this is the first day i didn't have any song in mind i didn't you know and and but that but just that idea that i could go in with my friend who's not a judgy guy he's just a he's just a creative interesting guy he's always kind of um looking at the musicians around him to kind of see where they're at and and maybe how he can get a better performance from them and something interesting from them maybe that they normally aren't doing. And I just sort of fell into it and then we stumbled through the first piece that we did. And at one point he said to me, well, this isn't really sounding like a song, you know, and I was just doing all these improvising things. And he said, maybe you need a second, maybe let's listen to what we have and see what we've got here. And then maybe we need to think of another section. And I wasn't thinking in sections. I was just kind of stabbing around on keyboards and percussion. And as soon as he said this idea about sections, I kind of my light bulb went off and I went, oh, I do need to still think compositionally. I can't go in and play and improvise without anything that's um, giving boundaries to, to the music. And that helped things begin to click. But it was, you know, it was just intriguing to me from the first because I knew I can trust this guy. He always gets amazing sounds. There's incredible things at our disposal. So let's just go from the trusting thing. And that, and that created the ground for the first music that we started. Yeah. I was introduced to color field and, and his process, um, basically through, uh, clandestine PR, uh, music PR company, who's connected me with, um, well, now it's, I believe it's been four or five artists that I've interviewed and they all, um, pretty much said the same thing. They were all really captivated by Pete's working process and just his easygoing approach and kind of free form, uh, style of, you know, play, you know? Um, and, uh, I interviewed him also. I don't know if you've heard that, but yeah, not the whole thing, a couple snippets that he had posted and the label had posted. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, it, 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 it is interesting because, um, you know, he's not coming at the process from a very technical standpoint. Um, I had asked him, you know, uh, about other producers, uh, 
who influenced him, you know, or who he kind of thought was in the same kind of wheelhouse as what he's doing. And he mentioned Brian Eno, um, which makes, makes a lot of sense, I think. And also Rick Rubin too. And those are guys who I feel like kind of, um, they're, they're taking a real psychological aspect to the process, you know, because they're, they're kind of, um, feeling out the, the musician and their, their vibe, you know, and where they're at the headspace they're in. Um, so I really wanted to talk to him about that particular process because yeah. it is really, um, I think, and you know, you've, you've obviously, um, been in the music business for quite a while and you've put out several albums. You've worked with a lot of other producers. Um, and I'm assuming that you've never worked with anybody quite like him. No. And, um, yeah, he's unique, um, though he has similarities to some people that I like and have worked with, um, but that are different. I mean, one person that I'm thinking about is, uh, the producer, Joe Henry, um, who the the thing that that makes them similar, and I I would guess also that would make them similar to people like uh, Rick Rubin and and uh, Brian Eno is they're extremely extremely intelligent uh, people, but they don't come at making music from the intellect alone. Right. They're, they're they are engaging with with something else that's a, a little more intangible um, based on the performer and especially the things that are maybe um, that the performer, the musician, the artist maybe doesn't even think are their strongest uh, qualities where we, we, in, in, in the sense of you have a musician who th- might be a good player, but when they're kind of learning something or stumbling through something or discovering something that can tend to be for a lot of musicians, their strongest moment, because it's their, it's, it's their engaging in an initial place with the, with the music and the sound that they're making. And Pete, is super encouraging of that. Uh, Joe Henry is super encouraging of that. The later it gets in the process, the more that you figure things out. I mean, and I think this, this many producers are like this. They, they know when, when you've reached that plateau and that stopping point and you're not coming back, you're not going to get back what you've lost after a certain point. Yeah. But, and Joe, it's almost like, okay, you just did it. Let's just leave this. Let's move on to the next thing. Let's come out. We can come back. And I have, I have a feeling we got it. I think we got what we needed there. And you take a minute and you start working on something else. Then you come back. And as you've been puzzling this thing together, you realize that the music stayed fresh during that time rather than going Going forward, going forward, other takes, refining, thinking, discussing, right, and then, and then losing a sense of freshness or discovery. Yeah, um, 
Yeah, and Pete, I feel like he'll it's great. He seems to have a lot of ways of of keeping that going. I mean, another thing that he does is just he's a good conversationalist about <laughs> other things. And he doesn't right. seem to mind if little little interruptions happen in a session. Maybe somebody drops by and has to pick up a piece of gear or is dropping something off or phone rings. And there's something about these little these little moments of not staying totally immersed that keep you from getting too attached, you know, and, you know, or something will, something will come up and you'll, you'll start talking and you go outside and you come back and now let's listen. Maybe along the way, he's been editing a little bit of what you've been doing. Yeah. And, uh, (laughs) So the, so all of these very then you may leave the room and start to think about something else and go to another instrument. All these things keep the process from being like linear in some way. It's it keeps yeah. it's it's not disjointed in any way. It's not jumpy, but it's 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 not like programmatic agenda like yeah. at all. Right. Which, you know, I mean, some I, I play a lot of jazz records. I play jazz and I play on a lot of jazz records. And sometimes those records are made in two days, three days. There's like 14 tunes that have to be done. So if you didn't have an agenda, right, you yeah. you know, we've got to get five, four tunes done today, four tunes done the next day and four tunes done. And if any overdubs have to happen, they have to happen. So a lot of times on that kind of session, a producer is really just trying to keep keep the keep the reins on the thing so that you know you don't lose time. Right. But but partly because it's Pete's studio and because there's sort of a built-in no real time constraint and the way he works and the way he thinks and that kind of that kind of free-flowing rhythm. Right you end up not never thinking about things too much at all, which is overthinking. Yeah. 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 You know, you got a degree in music composition from Bennington college. Sure. Yeah. And um, I also, I, I, have you seen the film whiplash? I did not see it. I've seen <laughs> it from afar on planes, you know, I sort of avoided it, but <laughs> I it, well, I just watched it. I'm I'm kind of late to the party with it myself. It's almost ten years old now, but yeah, you know it 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 it, it it's this extreme. It's almost like a like a uh, a boxing film or a sports film, but you know it's about music because it's you know it's this um, young jazz drummer who yeah. uh, is working at this very highbrow uh you know he's he's in this extremely uh prestigious um you know music school and jk simmons plays this really hard ass you know teacher and and uh so this kid wants to be the best the best jazz drummer ever you know and he's obsessed with uh buddy rich right he practices he practices until he gets blisters and he's bleeding all over the drums and he can never get it right. And this guy is like a, you know, he, he's a tyrant, you know, <laughs> the JK yeah. Simmons character. And, but what really struck me about watching, watching that, especially in the context of jazz, 
uh, because this because this instructor was so obsessed with perfection, um, and that seemed to go against the spirit of of what I know of jazz, right? Mm-hmm. The yeah. improv improvisational nature of jazz itself, right? With musicians, you know, why well, feel like when I see a good live jazz performance, it's obviously it's communication between the musicians. You know, there's some randomness. It's not. You know, it doesn't, not everything is quote unquote perfect. Right. Yeah. Um, And so anyways, uh, I do, I do recommend anybody, any, any jazz player should, I think it's a good film to watch. It's, it's really kind of over the top almost Um, the links that the, and the psychological mind, you know, just mind games that this instructor plays on, on this kid um, to get him to be perfect. But for, but for what, what's the point, you know, because all they're kind of, real spirit of the music um is just kind of drained out of it to me i think when you go for absolute rigidity and perfection well you know know, i've met people like that in my in my life it's not um that is a little bit accurate in certain sectors (laughs) of as education you know especially the kind of what I what I sense a kind of a certain atmosphere that came out came about in in the sixties seventies in jazz education around big bands and things like this. I mean, I definitely, you know, there are these kind of festivals where high school bands or college bands will go, you know, to to another college. They'll come from all around, and then they all play their set. And then there's judges, you know, and sometimes the right. judges, educators, sometimes they're um, uh, like famous jazz musicians that get paid to come there. Maybe they do a concert while they're there. Um, and then they during the day, there might be 12 big bands from college colleges or high schools playing for these people and they judge them. And I remember both my father was a jazz musician and he right. he came from the world of 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 big band jazz i mean he uh he worked with duke ellington he worked with count basie jimmy lunsford band he mm-hmm. started in that world in 1939 really even a little bit earlier but but and so he would get invited sometimes to judge some of these things and then of course i went to jazz camps and things like that and yeah so sometimes I went to to some of these festivals with my dad and he'd be asked to judge and there'd be some other musicians there and a band would play and maybe they were pretty sloppy and the kids were pretty young and they really didn't have it together. And then these judges would go and talk to them. And my dad <laughs> was a really gentle guy, a very gentle soul. Huh. He was a great, great musician. He was always very, you know, and always tried to let the students know there was room for improvement, you know, gave them some pointers, gave some, some ideas, but sometimes you'd have a guy and I, this person that I'm thinking about will remain nameless. It was one of these festivals and he decided he was going to rehearse the band. And he said, I want you to take out this chart, you know, and he was a, he was a well-known jazz musician, quite a well-known man. And he just, raked them over the coals. I mean, they were like tender young kids and yeah. <laughs> and it was just he'd stop them and he would say, you know, no, it sounds like shit, you know, <laughs> he's yeah, like yeah, yeah. 
and <laughs> tried it again and you know, sing, you know, and drummer, you know, it's like drummer boy, these kind of, you know, kind of shouting epithets at different, different kids. And when we got back in the car at the end of the day, my dad said, you know, that was so uncalled for what this guy did you know so they're not going to learn anything from that it, 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 the only thing they're going to remember is what a jerk he was and the, and what and trauma that he put them through right. so but i think that does exist in this kind of world of jazz education certain sectors of it it just came up especially i think in the 70s this kind of like drill drill sergeant aspect absolutely yeah around yeah. big and so maybe that movie kind of kind of pulls from that and and at the risk of just talking too much about all this it's for sure not the spirit of what we do but it right. exists there in certain things and if, i mean of course there are those buddy rich tapes you know where he gets on the bus are you familiar with those tapes uh yeah yeah somewhat so he gets on the bus, and I mean, he and he just, you know, the stuff that comes out of his mouth about to the band, you know, that they yeah. were, yeah, yeah, um, so, right? But that kind of brutality thing, yeah, that brutal, yeah. and uh, it's some weird thing that, yes, like somehow so antithetical to the spirit of things, but somehow sometimes it's it's in there, but um. I could never, I can't work with people like that or uh, never been able to. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I thought it, it, it ultimately, uh, you know, there, there could be some value, you know, for, you, you know, um, pushing people towards some kind of more, more technical, technical perfection and, and skill. But then if it becomes like, you know, like a dictator or, you know, uh, too overbearing, then it's yeah counterproductive, I would think. Well, and um, also just for me as a as a creative person, there's that there's that kind of inner tyrant sometimes that you have <laughs> that's telling you, yeah, you should do this and you shouldn't do that. And why are you doing this? And th th this kind of controlling uh inner voice that is also uh, can be really dangerous to having a life that's creative as, as a musical artist or any kind of artist. I mean, I've worked really hard to be able to just, just want to be able to make whatever kind of music makes me feel driven, motivated and good and creative and fertile, you know? Um, right. And, uh, it can be really hard in 2023. Everybody, you know, wants to have a career. There's social media telling you have a brand in a sense, you know, well, to me, Oh God, the idea of a brand is some kind of boundary around something <laughs> that I'm trying to create. Maybe my brand is some kind of boundary list thing, but anyway, just this idea of not having too many, too many expectations of perfection or a certain kind of style or not letting yourself be able to veer into other areas as an artist. Um, I think that can be really dangerous for a person because then suddenly you might just be out now on one track and I, right. you know, I don't want to be on. I like to write lyrics. I like to write songs. I like to write instrumental music. I like to improvise. Right. Uh, so 
I wouldn't want to limit myself. I did ask you, so you have done uh, vocals. You did mention vocals earlier um, mm-hmm. on albums. And then I had, I'd asked in, in our magazine interview, you know, how you feel like that has, you know, changed just from a purely, you know, when you're doing compositions, you know, just purely music compositions and not involving vocals, how do you think, um, thinking about recording vocals, writing lyrics, that whole process affected your, uh, your, your music writing itself. So could you touch on a little bit on that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I love writing lyrics. I love, I love reading. I love reading short stories. I love reading all kinds of things. Um, journalism, anything. Um, and, uh, one thing that's really compelling for me in writing lyrics is that you've got really just, even if it's a long story kind of based song, you still have a limited, you have a limited amount of time and words to do what you intend to do and what you need to do. Right. You're trying to say something, um, or you can be much more abstract and then it's even more limited. You know, uh, your lines can be much shorter. There can be uh, many, uh, there can be fewer and fewer words and it can be more crystalline and, and really crafted in the sense of limitation. And what I, what I like about that um, is that you distill you it, uh, writing lyrics is like a, is like putting together a puzzle and everything does really have to fit. And you kind of know as a couple lines begin to click together and the picture starts to emerge and become a little clearer. Oh, okay. This thing is clicking into place and I still know what's necessary, what's needed maybe for the next verse. Mm -hmm. Okay. Here's a chorus. Okay. Is there an extra word here? Is is something messing up the rhythm? Is something taking away from what I'm trying to do? And I think it becomes for uh, a composer who's dealing just in uh, writing music, instrumental music, sound, it's a little bit less clear when things are clicking or not. I think right. we're... I think we're language-based beings. I think we we kind of know when things are working or if something seems like we, I mean I can tell when I'm saying too much, <laughs> you know. And, <laughs> and yeah. so but with instrumental music if I'm sitting down writing writing a a piece of music sometimes the tendency to to put too much in or to over or ornamentalize or to um or to kind of get off the track is it's just much easier and you you might start to play the piece um and you maybe just really like that little passage that you've put in there and so you just keep it there because you like it you know, and it's like as a musician, maybe it has a certain language or a certain uh maybe you do something harmonically that's really interesting to you. Might not be interesting to a listener down the line. It might actually take away that really cool little sequence of three chords that you came up with. 
but you really like it. And because it's incremental and there's like, it's the thing isn't falling apart. Um, you leave it in and other musicians go, Ooh, I like that chord. Ooh, nice chord progression. Oh, I love playing that melody. Maybe many of these things could be stripped away and taken away. Um, but you don't, it's not as clear that they could or that, and it's not always, I'm not always as inclined to do it. Um, I became friends with the songwriter, Dan Wilson. I don't know if you know Dan Wilson's songwriting. He's from a band called Semisonic. He's a Minneapolis guy. Hmm. Um, but he lives here in Los Angeles and it's really a pop songwriter. Uh, he's written numerous songs for Adele were some of his biggest hits. I think someone like you for Adele and, uh, you know, he's written some large hits and, um, great songwriter. And he's, I've brought songs to him even that have lyrics and he'll, and then there'll be like in the music, something that I put in that's really interesting to me harmonically, or maybe a little guitar move or something on the piano. And, and he'd say, well, why did you, why do you have that chord in there? Why do you go to that chord while that lyric is going on? And I, <laughs> I hadn't even thought of it because from the musical standpoint, I just like those little interesting things. And and Dan pointed out uh, in a few of my songs, I think it actually makes the song kind of crumble a little bit there. Like it 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 loses its it loses its streamlined. Uh, yeah, ability to tell its story, and anyway, I just I like the idea that that I've gotten from lyrics that if you if you stay, really stay on the track of what you're trying to do in the piece of music that you're writing or improvising, even when you're improvising a solo, not overthinking as we keep coming back to or or trying to control the solo that you're making or control the piece of music that you're writing, but just strip away and, and create the sort of more most perfect path to the story that's being told musically. Right. Uh, For me, that, that emerged from working on lyrics and I started to realize, oh, I can exert a bit more control and I can take much more away uh, if I'm smart that will allow the music to breathe more. It'll allow the music to arrive at its destination more efficiently with that, you know, without, yeah. without extra tangents and tributaries that are, that are, that are leading all over Um we're on this track. We're telling the story, even if it's a, a purely it's purely sonic. It's just it's just made with with tones and sounds of instruments and no words, but it's still going somewhere. And you want to kind of guide it, yeah, to where it wants to go. Yeah, I love this idea of uh, you know take. Well, I mean, uh, good writing has its own kind of rhythm, obviously. You know, especially lyrics. Uh, yeah. or poetry um you know with meter and uh the pacing everything um and then so kind of thinking of uh just pure music composition in that sense in an expressive sense um yeah that that 
I, I, I had originally wanted to ask you about that because I thought there's got to be some kind of influence, some kind of, you know, uh, crossover between the two, um, yeah. that you developed as you, you know, started writing lyrics and singing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Developed and still for sure, still developing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I find that I, I find that I'm much more, uh, if, if a melody just seems to kind of have the right contour and a bass line has the right and they and they work together i tend to not then keep tinkering to try to find something else or something more out of it although sometimes i'm willing to do that but i like this idea that there's an internal balance in things and um and if you can find that uh it can be great and i think i got that from lyric writing Another aspect um, that I really loved with the videos that you did for for this uh, album, you'd yeah. worked with director Wes O'Connor, yeah. and and so um, this I think kind of parallels uh, you know what we were talking about with uh, language and lyrics, and then you know the abstraction of music, because I felt like the the imagery that's in these videos. And I asked specifically about your, your track uh, arrival at Kanazawa. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt like it matched the song's mood and, and kind of atmosphere really well. The, the very it collage, like it's very collage, like, yeah. Um, and so how did, how did you get involved with him in, in this project and, and how closely did you, collaborate with him on the assembly of, of its visuals and correspondence with your, your, your music. In my previous album, which I uh, released myself, which is called the plan of Paris. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, it's a combination of instrumentals and songs with lyrics. I had a couple of songs that I wanted to create uh, some little lyric videos with, you know, some, some kind of video content and having the lyrics uh, underneath. And um, a couple of people that I knew recommended Wes as being a really interesting person to, to work on visuals with. And Wes, uh, one of the things he does is um, find kind of public domain, archival, old, old film stock imagery and then kind of collages it out as well as process it, processes it in certain ways, either the color or degrades the images in certain ways that make it quite interesting. And, and so we did uh, two, two songs for plan of Paris and I, I just loved in a in a similar way how they were evocative of the song mm-hmm. with kind of dictating um sort of a way to feel about the song. There was a kind of a pacing of the images um and a and a kind of uh free association that was happening where even though you were seeing these lyrics go by underneath, you were just kind of picking up on on imagery and it it allowed the song to kind of work in a in a good way and then i thought okay 
now I've got this instrumental album and we can be, we can really um, be more, more responsive to the pacing and the rhythm of the song. We don't have to think about the lyrics. Right. Uh, Wes can improvise and can, can be a little bit more surreal, which as soon as I play Wes, the music, he was like, Oh, I immediately <laughs> hear the dreamlike qualities in this music, um, how things can either be superimposed over each other, they can go a little bit faster, they can come at different points in the music that when you have a song with lyrics, you you maybe don't want to be so, you don't want to impose so much and you don't want to kind of enter so many image so many so many image-based things into the mix so it was just the perfect uh time to call Wes again and um Wes would send me start going through footage and then send me just like 20 screenshots of different things and we started to choose oh huh. this just this world because of the color or because of the or because of the animal that's in it, or because of the power lines or whatever, seems to be something. Why don't you start working with that? And yeah. then West do a little cut. And then we would maybe go go through it maybe once or twice and take some things out. One of the things that I didn't want too much of was uh, too much signage or words, because mm. I feel like it's when people see words, they start to associate words with what they're seeing and hearing. So there's in some of these videos, there's there's one song that uh, it's called Dream Oracle, and I think there's a little baby in a carriage, and it I think there's <laughs> a line that says "Sweet Dreams" or something. Yeah, but generally we stayed away from th- anything that felt too literally right, uh, and just made it more rhythmic and responding to certain kind of places in the song where there were changes, you know, if something yeah. kind of broke down, then you had a new, new world to go into. Wes is awesome. Yeah. And so, and this was an approach of like applying visuals to the music. And I was wondering, you know, have you ever, have you done any scoring for, for film or tv have not it's something i'd very much like to do yeah yeah i was curious about that because obviously then that would also be kind of a the opposite approach because then you're 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 you know you're matching music to the visuals you're finding ways to to make that work um but especially like you know with what you did you know with this most recent album with collodion um that is kind of you know this is an overused term but cinematic feel to it you know, because of uh, it, its atmospherics and its mood, um, you know, and and I could see you doing compositionally something like that for, um, you know, a similar type of film or TV project. Yeah, I love the idea and, and the possibility of 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 uh, music and image together. And, and there's so many different ways that I enjoy composing and I'm and as we can see, this is this whole world kind of working with electronics, other kinds of instruments, other, other sonic 
sonically processed kind of sounds. I feel like like I'm just at the very t- tip of an iceberg that I'd like to spend some time with. And then, of course, I love more traditional styles of composition, writing for, you know, ensembles either either with horns or strings or small, small ensembles. So it would be great if I got the chance to to do something like that in the future. Yeah, for sure. Well, so, you know, when I, when I had interviewed Pete, he had uh, mentioned that uh, he said to you, I believe that, you know, this is a really different album than anything you've really done before. And your fan base is there. They may, they may not like it. Um, and yeah, but I'm wondering like, how much do you care about that? Um, in the sense of, or, or what it's been out for a little bit now. Um, and, and so what, what has your, your own sense been of, of how it's been received, um, by, you know, your, your fan base, the people who are more familiar with your, your previous work, um, has it brought in a, a whole new set of listeners? Uh, what's your your kind of sense of that right now? What I'm noticing, um, I mean, I don't really even know what my fan base is. I wish I was, <laughs> I wish, you know, I, uh, I mean, I know who comes to hear hear me play when I go play a jazz gig, but other than that, I don't track it so so much. All I can say is that uh, people have been super positive, even people who I didn't expect, you know, who maybe I thought that their taste might have been like, Hey, I, well, you like my first albums I did with like a nine piece jazz band, you know, I had yeah. like a horn section, five horns and drums and piano, you know, and it was, you know, it was actually coming out of this kind of large ensemble thing that was part of my life growing up and and i i still have people to this day going like when are you gonna do another one of those nine piece albums you know (laughs) waiting for one of those and uh and i probably will the funny thing is at some point i probably will but i can tell you that that whatever that new album would be with the nine piece band would be a lot different than those earlier ones i mean it's just Mm -hmm. i don't know I'm really bad at repeating myself. I can't do it. Like I, I just, so. (laughs) That's probably a good thing. All of Yeah, I think so. And all of this is to say that um, I've had people that I thought were kind of going to be saying, you know, when are you going to do another one of those nine piece albums? And they, and they've said, I heard this album you did. I saw something online or I heard a track while I was driving, you know, or it came up on my, and it's really, really cool. I even had one friend who said, you've now like, now there's no turning back. Now you have to go. (laughs) And it was a person who was a more traditional kind of jazz fan and and their sense was oh great now you're on a path to even more discovery and something broader and 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 more interesting than you've ever done so um i've been really happy with with the way people have responded uh you know uh i have no idea 
how it's kind of selling or streaming at all, but just a lot of positivity and and uh, and people giving me tons of support. For me, I just that's how I go about. I just do the things that I really like, and I trust that there will hopefully be enough people around <laughs> that want to hear it. You know, I have other things that that allow me to do that, though. I, I mean, uh, I do some teaching, you know, so I, I, I teach at the San Francisco Conservatory of Music in the jazz program. But like all of those students at the conservatory, they all when the album came out, the school started about a couple of weeks after and they were all like, oh, my God, that new album. Everybody wants has interest interest in how it was produced on the instruments on the technical aspects of it so of course yeah younger folks i think are super they're just absorbing that kind of thing and everybody's got a computer these days you know they were like which 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 (laughs) DAW did you use and and i was like well we did pro tools you know like but everybody's interested in that stuff and people are interested in sequencing and people are interested in editing. And, um, but then at the same time, some of these older fans who come to my gigs have said, I heard the song and it was so startling and, and surprising. And I hope you do more like that. I mean, one, I was actually just thinking before we started talking, I have a gig on Saturday and I was thinking, well, maybe there's a way I could try to chart a couple of these songs out and try to perform them even with a band, just because (laughs) there's something, there's a song on the record called Heart Whispering that I think could work that way, um, where they're open enough that they they could absorb a live performance uh, approach in a group by different players as well as the what I did, which was create them kind of on my own in a in a modular way, piece by piece. Yeah, um, uh, that would be exciting to me to be able to go in and say, I have no idea how we're going to play this in a band because I didn't huh. really write them thinking this way. But let's try it, and uh, you know, maybe they can they can absorb a bit of soloing. You never know. Yeah. And, same thing of not wanting them to fall apart. I think, you know, one thing that Pete um, loves is this idea of of working with these creative musicians, many of whom are coming from jazz or other kinds of music, but also using some kind of pop popular music production mentality in in crafting the tracks so that they don't just become a vehicle for lots of soloing or something like that, you know? Yeah. So, so they are really beautifully put together also from a technical standpoint. I mean, here I am playing these things and then we sit and we talk, okay, can we just take that away? Where can we strip away that creates the space for the thing to live, which is sort of the opposite of suddenly just going into a gig and thinking we're going to, improvise on these songs that might might not really work at all but could see yeah no i'm glad you brought that up because i was going to ask uh like are you going to try these live in some way <laughs> so yeah, I think sounds like a 
Well, I think it would be cool to at least give it a try, you know, oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Rather so, than thinking that it's just some other thing that's apart from what I do, find a way to find a way to, to bring it in to, to a live approach, even with acoustic instruments. Well, just what would the song sound like, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And you said that's coming up this Saturday. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's a place in, in LA called Sam first, which is a place where a lot of the the jazz musicians play. It's a it's a strange little spot because it's right at LAX airport. It's not in the airport, but it's you could if you had a flight after the gig, you could walk to the airport from from the gig. Um, <laughs> it's just the person who owns the club owns this building, and it's and it's right there. But you don't feel at all like you're at the airport but it still has all the trauma, like the driving there still <laughs> contains all the same trauma that driving to the airport contains. Cause it's just so, you know, LA is punishing with its traffic. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but it's seven nights a week. Uh, there's always interesting music going on at Sam first. So. Oh, cool. Okay. Are you going to be touring in any kind of sense playing other, other cities with this or what's the plan? No, nothing planned. I mean, I have uh, I some teaching stuff this fall. Um, I'm teaching at a guitar workshop in France in October. I've got my my job at uh, San Francisco Conservatory, which isn't it's not constant. It's like once a month during the semester. Some concentrating on that, and then I play with uh, singer Diana Crawl. And we have a South right. American tour in November. So I'm kind okay. of kind of wrapping up the year. And then I mentioned to you this project that I've been doing in Mississippi. Um, and that's probably my next, the next thing that I'll really do record and then really do gigs behind. I would think sometime next year that that'll come out. Um but my my family on my father's side was from Mississippi, from the Mississippi Delta. Mm-hmm. And I started researching our family history and genealogy and then started visiting the Delta, which is a really a fascinating, fascinating uh, cultural place, both for the history of this country and the history of American culture. And I just I became more and more intrigued with and I started writing songs and making photographs uh, about the place. And so the next thing I do will be, would definitely be a kind of a show where I would show, I would show images, tell stories and, and play songs, both instrumental and songs with lyrics. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Cause I was, I was going to ask about like doing something kind of multimedia considering yeah. we just talked about, you know, these videos yeah. and incorporating visuals into the performance. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that would be yeah, really I'm- cool super i i make lots of photographs that's one of the other things that i do so i've been going over the last five years to the to the delta a couple times a year and photographing landscapes people interiors all kinds of stuff and then the songs emerged from those travels so that'll probably be the next time that i organize you know uh a number of dates, although I'd, I'd think early next year after I'm done with the Diana crawl stuff, start to 
start to just play out a little bit more on my own. Have you formally shown your, your photos like a gallery shows or anything? Not in any exhibitions. So the first ones that I'll have will be for this, for this Mississippi project. Love it. All right. And on a couple things there. Yeah. To begin with, I would, I want to do more with Pete. I would love to do another project with, with him because I feel like now that I'm even more comfortable with that process, I feel that we could, we could go really far with, with it sonically, compositionally. Um, you know, the more you get to work with somebody that you really click with and that you're really comfortable with, um, it makes all the sense in the world to just keep trying to, trying to explore that territory. Oh, know? for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And he, and I just love what Colorfield has done for a, a, a nice, a growing community of musicians who are being encouraged to find, find different parts of their voice that they might not have even known existed and then create, and then, I mean, speaking of kind of creating a brand, I mean, Pete and Todd, <sighs> you're kind of creating a little, a little brand that's like, oh, this is, this is a real representation of a lot of the creativity that's going on um, in, in our community. Uh, yeah. In Angeles, and then they're drawing from some other people who don't live here as well, but uh, there's a, there's a consistency to it, but there's also real individuality to each of the records. And I think there really is. Yeah. I sense that all of the musicians who've done, done things for the label feel that and, and have felt kind of pushed and encouraged as at the same time. Well, it was great talking with you, Anthony. <laughs> it was my pleasure, Tyler. Loved it. Loved it. Thank you so much. And, and thanks for, Thanks for uh, exposing folks and your audience to the to the music. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you. And thanks a lot to everyone out there listening. You can find us online at interlocutorinterviews.com and on Instagram at interlocutor.interviews. Uh, plus, visit our YouTube channel. And if you're a fan of our arts coverage, you can sign up to be a subscriber or donate via Patreon. Just click on the Patreon link on our site. And I'll be back soon with another Interlocutor Interviews podcast episode. 